0: Welcome to Nutri-Performing Art Stories. I'm Dwayne Burkhardt. In part two of my interview with podcaster John Suntris, John and I talk about how his Word Balloon podcast, which is essential listening in the comic book fan world, got started. We'll also return to WNTH and talk about its influence on his remarkable career. Here now is part two of my interview with John Suntris. So let's talk about podcasting now. Sure. Uh 2005 is when you founded Word Balloon. That's right. Um how did that start to happen? You become aware of the technology and something in your head says, "Wow, this is, you know, this is a this is a creative outlet that I can't walk away from." Tell me about the process of, "Oh hey, I want to do this" and go from there to actually, you know, uploading.
1: Well, you know, this was uh like you said, 2005, and um, I was at Sporting News Radio. And in February of 05, Wired Magazine had that article about podcasting. And you know, God, I know you too, uh, uh, Dwayne. Before uh, podcasting existed, you were doing an audio show on on Apple.
0: Yep, Mac OS Radio. Wow, good for you! Wow, yeah, that was QuickTime uh, QuickTime streaming server technology. Yep, that's right.
1: Now that, I did that. Well, and that's the thing, and it was like, well, I'm not getting. The hosting opportunities that I'd like at Sporting News, so I, uh, I decided first. Paul Allen and the the people behind the sport the uh, Sporting News company were always typical internet startup. Like, hey, if you got any new ideas, let us know, and you know, we, this is the person to talk to or whatever. So I noticed that Paul had opened the Science Fiction Museum in Seattle, and that, and I was just looking at their website. And they were saying, oh, this weekend, we're going to have a bunch of cartoonists and we're going to have a tutorial for kids and show them how to make comic books, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, you know, uh, using that email, I'm like, hey, if you'd be interested, I'd love to, I'm a big comic book nerd and sci-fi nerd and all, all, all genre fiction. That's the pretty word, as opposed to just being nerd culture, which I embrace. And I'm like, hey, if you want, I'd love to do interviews for the museum and we could post them on the website or whatever. And they're like, well, we're not interested, but that's a great idea. You want to do it yourself, and I'm like, well, that sounds cool. And and again, I was already starting to listen to a handful of podcasts here and there, and I'm like, well, let me just start this. So in May of 2005, I, I recorded four uh, interviews and and started Word Balloon. And a year into it, Sporting News moved to I, I'm trying to remember if it was I believe at first it was Dallas, and they eventually became the Yahoo Sports Network. I don't even know what they're called these days, but I know they still exist. And they didn't; they only uh, took a couple of the on-air talent. Everybody else was just cut loose in Chicago. So um, didn't have a job for a little while. I ended up uh, managing a Starbucks in Evanston. And uh, while I was doing that, I was still doing my podcast. And I'm like, wow, I'm just having the time of my life. I I applied my radio skills to conducting these interviews. And initially my thought was, let me generate some new interview audio that I can take to a new radio job and say, here, this is what I can do. And I would talk to people like my friend Walt Simonson, who's a brilliant Marvel Comics cartoonist and writer. He did the original Star Wars comic book. So I'm like, well, that would be something that I could, you know, if they don't, if they don't especially back then, if they're not into comic books, certainly Star Wars was enough in the public consciousness that that might intrigue somebody as a different, interview subject so i started doing things like that luckily when i started that's kind of when the superhero films really started to happen you had batman begins you had the original sin city these were adaptations road to perdition which a lot of people are stunned to learn oh no that's based on a comic book and i would talk to the writers and artists of these uh, properties that then became exploited in film and even later television And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, this is its own thing. And it really started to evolve. And uh, because podcasting was so brand new, I was able to go to these cartoonists, first and foremost, and say, hey, I'm doing a podcast. If you don't know what that is, sort of like internet radio, kind of explaining what, what the format was. And after doing so many years of interviewing athletes, coaches and and journalists, I, I felt comfortable in my interview style. And they weren't used to that because as you know, a lot of podcasters are like high school and college radio. This is their first audio of things. And they're not as experienced at conducting a conversation and conducting an interview. So I think luckily, my years of at that point, 15 professional years helped me legitimize what I was doing. And the publishers and the cartoonists uh, and the writers, all are like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. So I'm going to talk to him. And that really helped my credibility and helped my show flourish.
0: We are talking to podcaster and host of the world-famous Word Balloon podcast, John Suntress. And we're going to take another break. We will be back in just a moment. This episode of Nutria Performing Art Stories is being brought to you by my new book, Rags, Riches, and Roller Coasters My Life as a Serial Entrepreneur by Dwayne Burkhardt. The book chronicles my incredible 25 year roller coaster ride during my crazy, difficult, wonderful, tragic, and amazing years as a small business entrepreneur. The book is available at Amazon.com in ebook, paperback, and hardback. Get your copy today. And we are back. We are still talking with John Suntress, podcaster extraordinaire. Talk to us. We're talking about Word Balloon uh, and and how that sort of evolved. At what point in the process did you feel like, oh, my God, I did it. This is working. How, How far you started? You said you started in early 2005. How far after that is it? Oh, hey, this is a thing that, you know, this is a career here.
1: Well, I I didn't think of it as a career. I always thought of it as kind of a side hustle in a good way. But what was great was in that first year and really within the first couple of months, I spoke to this one writer, my good friend, Jeff Parker, who I've known since I started podcasting. And there was an artist who no longer is with us, unfortunately, the great Mike Waringo. And Mike was a very key Marvel artist, did a lot of big books. And Jeff was like, literally within the first three months of me doing Word Balloon, And all of a sudden I get this email from Mike saying, hey, I see you interviewed my friend, Jeff. I've been having trouble downloading it. I'm on a Mac. Can you contact me and kind of walk me through so I can listen to the show? And I'm like, "Uh, of course I could. Would you be on my show? And he said, oh, sure, absolutely. And man, Mike was so good to me. I mean, he passed away in 2009. So for four years, he was a great sounding board of, Listen, I'm coming from radio, but I'm I'm invading your comic book professional community. Please tell me what I'm doing right. Please tell me what I'm doing wrong. I don't want to half-ass this. I really want to do it well. And he was a wonderful sounding board and also a good ambassador for me to others in the business. And it's like, no, no, no. Talk to John. John knows what he's doing. Because, again, all of a sudden, kind of like Dandelions, all these podcasts are popping up. And you got everything from jimmy's uh comic book list this is what i read this week and i liked superman and i didn't like fantastic four to people trying to do interviews and and again my radio bra- background really helped me and i gotta say right away marvel the number one comic publisher as well as from a uh, certainly a television and movie standpoint their dominance you know can't be denied but this is three years before the first marvel movie iron man I mean, they, you know, there was Blade and things like that, in the yeah,
0: but it's not the same. It wasn't. The, it wasn't the beginning of the the sort of epic, intentional focus in in that direction, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. But but Marvel's like again, the writers and artists. My good friend Brian Michael Bendis, who's a very accomplished comic book writer and also television writer. After I started talking to him, he really spread the word to all the other Marvel people, including Marvel management. And it's like, John knows what he's doing. DC was a tougher nut to crack, the Batman Superman company, because uh, they were much more corporate. Kind of like the way we described NTH earlier, Marvel was like, hey, as long as you don't do anything stupid, we're going to let the writers and artists do their thing. DC was really very much, well, if you want an interview, you have to go through us and all of, you know, just kind of the typical red tape that anyone would have if they were trying to pursue an interview. But eventually I kind of won them over as well. So then I really didn't try to get advertisers until I had an average audience of around 2000. And even then it was just token kind of independent comic book seller digitally that sort of competes with Amazon. But do you do your own thing? Would you be interested in advertising your service on my show? And I'd get like 50 bucks a month or whatever, or some people took other podcasts. Would take it in trade. I was always money hungry. I'm like, give me the money, and he they did, and I didn't make it too expensive. But my audience started to grow because, thankfully, with social media, I mean, even before MySpace, a lot of these creators had message boards, and they I would either invade them and say, Hey, you love Jeff Johns? Well, I just did an interview with Jeff Johns. Here's the link, and that would make my audience grow. And and again, thankfully, it was still such a novelty that and and also more than the coverage that the nerd culture would get with 3 minutes on entertainment tonight or one of those other entertainment news magazines next to nothing on radio except for maybe some local e- examples here and there and and yes yeah, so they're like wow okay well we're online promoting our stuff we have our community with our message boards you know it was mutually beneficial to my podcast and and their community of fans and it just started growing. MySpace certainly helped me excel my my listenership. And then, of course, Twitter and Facebook did the same. And yeah, here I am, you know, like I said, 18 years later. Unbelievable. But uh, I love what I do. In 2016, I was working at The Drive, The Mix, at 100.3, She, and they cut me loose. And uh, I'm like, all right, well, then I put in even more daily effort, started doing more podcasting. And I, I did manage to uh, jump onto WBBM radio and do of all things traffic reporting. Last thing in the world I expected to do in my radio career, but it was good part-time money because it was a union job. So then all of a sudden, podcasting and broadcasting became hand in hand. And I got downsized uh, during COVID.
0: There was obviously less traffic, and therefore, right. <laughs>
1: well, you know, honestly, Dwayne, the the surprising thing, and especially in Chicago. And it's one of the reasons why they had 24-7 traffic and a dedicated traffic uh, department. There's, as you know, there's constant construction.
0: Oh, yes. My favorite quote, you, you mentioned all the construction. I, my my favorite quote about urban life in general comes from actor Alan Alda, who once quipped, I love the city. Call me when it's finished.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: And He's uh so I true. I thought, you know what, that really says it all, doesn't it? That just really that's there it is. All right. So <laughs> favorite WNTH memory and
1: why? So many. Uh you know what's crazy? All right, here's I mentioned the the work I did with Gary Price and Dave Marin is always near the top of the list, but I have to be selfish. And both at West and East, I got it into my head, and again, this is why the sponsors were so great. I did two. Uh, specials where I interviewed people connected to of all things the Three Stooges.
0: Oh, you are a huge Three Stooges fan. <laughs> I absolutely remember this about you. You were an enormous Stooges fan. Yes.
1: Well, and and Mo's daughter had uh, released a biography when we were in high school, and another guy did an unauthorized Stooge biography. But then, and th- I I spoke to them with my buddy Jeff Marcus, upperclassman at West, and then at East. I, I had the opportunity to go to Los Angeles and meet Edward Burns, who directed many of the Stooge shorts, the later Curly episodes, and a lot of the Champs. He also, at the time, and I I wish I had known this, directed a lot of the Bowery Boy movies, which is kind of crazy. Uh-huh. So he started as a sound man at Columbia, worked with people like Frank Capra. But then, and in fact, when we met for to do our in-person interview, he was finishing lunch with Frank Capra. So he introduced me to Frank Capra before we did our interview, which, again, I certainly know who, knew who Frank Capra wow. was. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That was that was amazing. But Mr. Burns was so patient with me and, and really let me do this incredible interview. I don't know if you know Tom Bergeron, the old Hollywood Squares and Dancing with the Stars host. Right. He, when he was young, had the opportunity of interviewing the Stooges when he was a teenager. And he interviewed Mo and Larry, which was great. And in fact, you can find them on YouTube. But much like that, I interviewed Mr. Burns. I also interviewed Joe Besser, the infamous final third Stooge during the short period, Mm -hmm. prior to Curly Joe doing the movies with Joe Dorita. So I interviewed Mr. Burns. Sounds like Simpsons, Mr. Burns. And uh, also uh, Mr. (laughs) Besser. But uh, but, um, also Emil Sitka. Emil Sitka was one of the character actors on a lot of the Stooge shorts. He was the, the tall guy that would just be the butler, or you know whatever. They were all incredible, and they all and they all wrote me like a, well, Mr. Sitka more so wrote me these great letters. God, I wish I still had them, but it was really fun, and again a great moment for me at at NTH to uh, to really turn my love into the Stooges into something tangible. And man, I wish I had those cassettes because uh, oh, you know I mean they were they were just great. And And again, the the kindness of, of all of those men allowing me to interview them emboldened me to go, "I must know what I'm doing." And I, I wasn't, I have to say, I, I did pretty good for a kid. I I you know I didn't I didn't env- embarrass myself with any silly questions, but they were incredibly patient with me, and they just let me talk and ask my questions, and they answered them. They were wonderful.
0: And I'll tell you why. I know I know the I will tell you, John, I know why they did that, and that's going to bring us to the end here. As I have noted many times before, the most fun thing about this show for me is when I get to interview people who I knew and worked with at Trier. And of course, you and I worked together for years. And so my primary memory of you, and this will not shock you at all, is the same as my primary memory of Dave Marin. And that is the two of you in the office that was right across the hall from from the main broadcast office there. And the two of you in there, I'm going to say, I don't know if you I don't know if you ever went home, if you guys like slept in there or or what the deal was, but like constantly in there and always in these very animated discussions about everything on Earth. But the thing that and this is why this is why they were so kind to you in those interviews, because there was there's you had a characteristic that you still absolutely are loaded with you've always had and this is the thing you have an absolutely infectious and boundless enthusiasm an absolute joy and love for what you do whether it's you know in radio broadcasting podcasting how whatever you want to call it we we call it podcasting now but and that is why I I have always thought that you were perfect for the career that you ended up in i mean we all loved it right we wouldn't have been at wnth we wouldn't have done the thing if we didn't love it but you had the most passion for it you frankly loved it most and you transmit that feeling to everyone around you all of the time and so i'm i'm not at the least bit surprised and that is that's the thing that that i remember about you and the thing that that makes you I think such a unique and and positive presence, not just as a guest on our podcast, but in the larger broadcast community today.
1: That means a lot, Dwayne. Seriously, and I I thank you for that. And I, uh, I, I there there are no alternatives to what I do, and and uh, others have said you're so driven in a positive way, and it's because yeah, I, I love this, and I really did take to this, and I'm like, no, this is cool, and really going back to that. <laughs> you know, teachers saying you should do this. It's like, I think I can do this. So, yeah, you know, and 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 truly, as I said, I'm a foot soldier in broadcasting. I have many successful friends. My friend Judd Surratt is the voice of the Boston Bruins. My friend Jesse Rogers is one of the top baseball reporters for ESPN. My friend Mike Greenberg is one of the most successful hosts at ESPN. These were all score friends of mine, and I love them and I admire their success. Luck is as important as talent. And, uh, and you'll forgive me for saying talent when I'm describing what I do. But I just, thankfully, the digital platform has afforded me to kind of be in charge of my own destiny and not have to pursue uh, a, a radio station or a television station to let me do what I do. And as the, biz- the business of broadcasting changes, and I think they expect a lot more for a lot less money from the other foot soldiers and stars of broadcasting, the digital platform has allowed me to forge my own way and, and succeed and, and get other opportunities that being uh, the guy who makes commercials at 100.3 wasn't going to get me. So I've, I've been, I've been very, very fortunate. I really quick want to mention that my, our good friend Gary Price just uh, helped me get a part-time job with the American library association where I am, Producing podcasts for them.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you very much. And Gary is one of the hosts. Oh, well. So, full circle, man. 1979, Gary trying to figure out radio when we're freshmen. And here we are working together again. And it delights both of us to know it.
0: That's awesome. And I can't wait to hear it. Uh, Our guest today has been podcaster John Suntress. John, it was a tremendous privilege to work with you at WNTH. And I continue to follow your career online with great joy. And I know that we all wish you the greatest success in everything you do. Thank you.
1: well, i pre- I appreciate the interest, Dwayne seriously. and and as always, it was great it was great to see you when you were in town uh, earlier this month. and uh, yeah. for the know,
0: reunion, forty years, man.
1: I know <laughs> Jesus, but it's great. And truly, man, congratulations on on your own success, and not only with this wonderful podcast that is a joy to listen to but uh, also your authorship and uh, looking forward to talking to you about uh, your, uh, your, your next sci-fi book.
0: I will be on your show anytime, my friend, anytime at all. Thanks, man. It is just so much fun to interview my friends. Nutria Performing Art Stories is a copyrighted production of Narratives, LLC. It is written, directed, produced, and in this case, mercilessly edited by yours truly, Dwayne Burkhard, because it needed to be in order to turn our 90-minute conversation into two 20-minute podcasts. For those living in the Nutrier area, a reminder that the Frosch Soft Musical Workshop will be performing tonight and tomorrow, December 1st and 2nd, in Kornog Auditorium on the West Campus. And next weekend is the Winter Play in McGee Auditorium on the East Campus. Please see the Nutrier website for details. For more information about our podcast or to suggest a guest or sponsor, please email info at and Please join us next week for part one of my very special interview with actress and Oscar nominee, Virginia Madsen. Until then, thanks for listening. Please hit that subscribe button and we'll see you next time.